Hey, what's going on, good people? It's Gardner Douglas, your oyster ninja. I'm back. I'm back, good people. And today I'm here with Mr. Alex, the man, the wildlife king, uh, Troutman. <laughs> what's going on, Alex? How you feel, man? Uh, I'm doing good. How are you? I just appreciate you having me on here. Hey, man, I'm good. So I, like I was just telling you, this is my first podcast episode back. Um on the platform since my laptop got stole. So I got a new one and I'm back up and um, I'm ready to push out some content. I'm ready to share some stories, man, and starting with yours. All right, let's get it. All right. So um, first of all, Alex, um, you are a grad student. And for, for the people who's not, who are not looking on um, YouTube right now, this is a podcast, you're a black biologist. Right? Yes, I am. I'm one percent black. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, man. Let's just just start a little bit about your your story, man. How was your upbringing, man? Because to say you're a biologist and you you know you're doing great things in the community, which we'll get to. Um, what was your upbringing like? Yeah, so I grew up in a suburb of Atlanta. Um, I grew up with my both parents and. Like, I really enjoy nature from the start. Like, I would go fishing with my brothers and dad um, for the longest time. And then, like, I started getting to animals. Like, fishing was cool and all, but I would see, like, hawks flying over and great blue heron. And I would be more interested in that. Um, so, like, that got my interest and wanted to, like, learn about these animals. So I would start reading books and watching TV. And like I was watching like Steve Err and Crocodile Hunter, Jack Hanna, which are all like great conservationists and people who work with wildlife, but they're all white. So I didn't have like that representation of a black person actually working with animals. So um, for the longest time, like I knew I wanted to be a wildlife biologist and work with animals, but I didn't have that representation. The only people that I knew who worked with animals um, were either farmers or um, they were vets, so like no disrespect to them, but I wanted to be a conservationist, a wildlife biologist, and like I never seen anybody like me doing this. Like I'm 20 minutes away from a national park or a national battlefield, technically, and there was no black people there. I live in Atlanta. There's Zoo Atlanta here, and there was no black zookeepers at the time. Like I didn't see my first black zookeeper until I started working at the zoo in my mid 20s. Um, so I really didn't have that representation of what a black wildlife biologist was for the longest time. So I thought I was going to be a vet. So I went to school to actually be a vet. And then around freshman year, like, I realized that vets have an actual a high suicide rate because they're usually the ones on uh, the last ones in the room, pin the animal down because most people don't want to be with the pets to see them get put down. Uh, so I learned that. And then like I, actually took a field biology class where we were outside. It was actually ornithology, which is the study of birds. It was outside, like looking at birds and studying their behaviors. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this field biologist, wildlife biologist work. So I started on changing my classes to be outside all the time. And then I eventually graduated with a degree in biology. Um, and now that brings me here. So you had a lot in between, though, man, because I know when I first um, started following you, um, 
you were doing a lot with turtles. And that's what really made me want you get on a podcast because I was like, whoa, first of all, you're black. And, you know, you had to do with, you know, uh, nature and just, you know, wildlife. So I was like, all right, boom, boom, boom. We got all that. But I was like, I know nothing about turtles. So what made you want to dive into turtles? And what was that job, I guess? So what kind of jobs have you had with turtles? Yes. Yeah, so um, I kind of got lucky with my job with turtles. So um, after I graduated um, with my degree, my undergrad degree, uh, I actually I worked as a park ranger for a little bit. Um, then I worked at Zoo Atlanta and the Georgia Aquarium. So the Georgia Aquarium is where I kind of got my first experience with working with sea turtles. Um, and it wasn't really much experience. I literally was talking about um, Tank, the green sea turtle that lives in the enclosure with the whale sharks and um, some of the other manta rays and um, some of the like glide loopers, some of the, all the big fish there. So I was literally just interpreting um, about them. Um, but I didn't know that that would lead me on to actually working with them. So after I left the aquarium, I worked in with the Fish and Wildlife Service in Wisconsin um, for about a year working with butterflies and doing a lot of habitat restoration, which is basically manipulating the land to get it back restored for um, these butterflies that I was working with, but also some of the waterfowl because the waterfowl, which are um, ducks, um, they also utilize the land. Um, so we were actually restoring the land for the ducks, but since it helped the ducks, it also helped the butterflies. So I did that for about a year. And then a new administration came in, president administration came in and cut funding um, for the DOI, which is Department of Interior. So I was let go. Um, and then that opened up me to be able to apply for and get the job working with sea turtles as a national park sea turtle biologist. So I was down in Corpus Christi, Texas at Padre Island National Seashore. And I um, was there working with the mainly the Kemp's Ridley sea turtle, which is the smallest sea turtle species. Um, so with them, they're also pretty cool because not only are they the smallest sea turtle species, they're also one of the only species that actually nest during the day. All of the sea turtles usually nest at night, but these guys, they nest during the day. And then they also nest um, in large groups called erbatas. So they all have like a synchronized nesting um, nesting moment where they come up and nest and lay their eggs. So I was working with those species, with that species, but we also work with green sea turtles and hawksbills. On um, the hawksbill sea turtle, they weren't nesting, but they were hatchlings or post hatchlings that just happened to be in the water. And sometimes they would get stranded or which is washing up on the beach. And that's either because they're sick or injured or sometimes a predator might have chased them and they come up to the beach. So we would um, pretty much do a full workup on them. And a workup is seeing how much or seeing how wide they are, like how wide their shell is, seeing how long their shell is, and then looking for any tags. So we uh, look for metal tags that are usually on their flippers. And um, they also sometimes will have um, pit tags, where, which are electronic tags um with there go up under their flippers and we use like a coder to read um read them so with them we have hawksbill green sea turtles um and then leatherbacks not leatherbacks sorry um loggerhead sea turtles 
um, that would also get stranded sometimes. Um, and then the main nesters are the Kemp's Ridley and Greens will nest um, on the coast of Texas also, and sometimes loggerheads as well. Um, so we would work them up and uh, a day would look like we would drive on the beach. Um, so a cool thing about my job there, we were in UTVs driving on the beach um, looking for either these sea turtles that were either stranded or the ones that were nesting. So nesting sea turtles was our main focus. So we'll drive up on the beach looking for the actual turtles emerging from the water or we'll look for their tracks. So they'll leave tracks in the sand with their flippers. And when we see those tracks, we'll automatically say, okay, I see tracks. Now let me look and see if there's another set of tracks. So if there's another set, that means they have nested and then I went back into the water. But if there's only one track, the track that's coming out of water is our inbound track. So we look at that and start looking for um, the actual sea turtles. So they usually nest right at the base of the dune, the sand dune, or like on top of the dune. And we'll see that tur turtle and then we'll automatically um, try to see what stage of nesting it is. Because um, if you go up to the turtle too early, you could spook it and make it do a false crawl which um, is basically like goes up the nest, but it doesn't actually nest and goes back into the water. And you don't, we don't want that to happen because these are endangered species. Well, technically the Kemp's Wrigley is critically endangered. Uh, so we don't want that to happen. We want all the turtles to hatch or, and get back to the water as safe as they can. So what we do is we look and see what stage they are in. So we go with like, the first stage is actually like the emergence. So that's when they're coming out of water. Um, and then the next stage is digging. So we watch them dig. So digging can be anywhere from um, 20 minutes to 30 minutes or so. Uh, it depends on the sea turtle too. Sometimes it's hours of digging. Um, but for the Kims really is usually 20 to 45 minutes and we're watching it dig. And then once it stopped digging, uh, it goes into a trance. So the trance is when they actually start laying the eggs. So when they lay those eggs, uh, when they're laying those eggs, like they're pretty much oblivious to everything that's going on around them. So that's when we can actually go up and start working on them. Um, so during that time, we're the first thing we're going to do um, is to check for any tags that it has. So we'll check and see if it has those metal tags or those pit tags. And that's let us know if it's nested there before. Uh, if it has not nested, we'll go ahead and pit the metal tags on, on the flippers. Um, so we'll have record of them. And then the next thing we'll do, we'll pit a stringer in the nest. Um, that's basically just like a rope. Um, so that goes right into the nest where the eggs are so that people behind us can come and collect the eggs. And I'll talk more about that later. Um, but they'll come and collect the eggs. Um, but once that stringer is in that, then we'll start working it up. So just like a stranded turtle, uh, we'll take the measurements. So we're measuring um, the carapace of the turtle, uh, which is the back part, the back of the shell. So the top, so it's like the carapace is the, on the back. So if you're looking down, that's the carapace. And then the bottom part, if you were to flip it over, basically like his stomach, um, it's the plastron. Um, so we're looking at the carapace. So we're measuring it. Uh, lengthwise with like a, a soft tape measure. Um, and then we're measuring that lengthwise and then also widthwise. And then we'll also use giant calipers 
uh, which are like metal metal calipers to measure it. Um, the metal calipers kind of gives like an estimate that the actual tape measure um, gives kind of like a true like curvature and length. So we'll measure that measure it that way, and then eventually, like while we're measuring it, um, if it already has the tags on, we don't have to put tags on it. Um, so we also take a GPS coordinate of where where it is nested at. And then uh, we watch it, and once it's done nesting, we watch it um, pat down and cover the nest. And once it gets back in the water, um, uh, we let everyone else know, like, the turtle's back in the water safely. And then, like, our job is also, like, while we're measuring and taking all the biological data, we also do a skin tag or a flipper tag uh, to get genetic material from it to see uh, if it's a lineage from one of the turtles that previously nested here or previously nested in Corpus Christi. And then if not, we have the genetic material to see uh, if it's gonna be related to any future nesters as well. Um, so once we take all those samples and get all the measurements in, we let it go back into the water. Um, but our job is to make sure it gets back in there safely. So sometimes we have to like either stop traffic or like stand away so the turtle can get back in the water because Texas, the beach is actually considered a roadway in the constitution. So people are allowed to drive on the beach. Um, so we're there to protect the nest and then um, also protect the turtle. Now, once the turtle is nested and going back in the water, uh, within six hours or so, we come back and collect the eggs. Now we can collect the eggs because like, they're um, like soft, they're about like ping pong size, um, but they're soft and leathery. And then the um, actual like embryo is not attached to the egg yet. Uh, it's not attached to like the shell yet. Um, so you can move it um, during that time, during those around like six hours or so, you can move it during that time. But if it gets too, if it actually gets like hard, the embryo is attached. Uh, you can cause it to fail and we don't want that so we try to get it within six hours before it's hardening and the embryo has attached now for us uh, we since though we are dealing with endangered species or critically endangered species and then texas also allows you to drive on the beach uh, we're trying to do our best to protect those eggs so we actually uh, move them to an incubation uh, room depending on what part of the beach we're at um, so if we're in the front country which is around like 15 miles or so so corpus christi or not corpus christi padre island is around 60 miles of like uninhabited um beach there's a couple of buildings that um pretty much no other no other buildings it's a straight beach um line um so it's 60 miles and um after you get past mile 15 it's really rough and remote you don't have cell phone service and the sand is is um, pretty thick so if we're at 15 miles or so, we'll move it to the incubation room um, and then we'll let them hatch in the incubation room and then we'll release them. But past, um, past mile 15, um, we'll usually take them to um, a natural corral. Um, so we built pretty much like a giant tennis court um, in the sand where predators and um, humans can't get into it. So we'll dig um, new nesting holes and place the turtles in there, um, let them hatch naturally. Um, now these turtles, um, they are hatching naturally. Um, so they're hatch hatching with whichever temperature the sand is. So we monitor the temperature. 
that for the turtles that is, are in the are in the incubation room, uh, we actually like um, control what temperature those are going to hatch at, and we will usually like make it where it's more females because those are the ones that are producing on uh, the eggs. So with turtles and most other reptiles, it's temperature dependent. Um, their sex is temperature dependent. So with um, most um, turtles or sea turtles, it's around, I believe it's 82 degrees or so, and it, it will be a male. And then anything from like 83 to 85 degrees or so will be a female. And then anything above that can be either or if it's like an extreme temperature, it can be either or. But usually around 85 is female and around 82 is male. Uh, so we'll, we control so we have more females in and we'll release those. And then like um, we make sure after we release them, we uh, have to have a public uh, release since we are a governmental entity and we get funds from the public. So we do have some public releases um, and those are usually during the daytime. But uh, for the other ones we release, um, it's, at, it's at nighttime. We will release them at nighttime. Um, so that's pretty much what we're doing with sea turtles at um, Padre Island National Seashore. Um, so like usually if we're not looking for nesting turtles, we're looking for stranded turtles. And we also respond to calls for stranded turtles. Um, so sometimes during like the high tide days, sea turtles, like juvenile sea turtles, um, we call them dinner plate. Um, they're green. They're usually greens. And those are juveniles because they're dinner plate size, about 11, 12 inches or so. They'll get uh, stuck in the the jetties, so like rocks that kind of control and break like the waves um, from coming in. Um, so they'll get stuck there. So uh, we'll go and res rescue those and um, work them up and take them to a re uh, rehab. Or if it's, they get stranded on the beach, we'll take them, work them up and take them to a rehab. Now, most of the turtles that we see, like uh, as juveniles, you can't, you don't know what they are. Um, so we always say they're, they're unknown sex. Um, so most of the turtles that we are working with that are juveniles, like we don't know what sex they are. But occasionally we will get um, a male, like adult mature turtle. Um, and with those, um, those are actually very special because um, there's a lot of information that we don't know about for male sea turtles. Uh, just because they don't come, they don't come ashore uh, once they go back to, once they can leave as a hatchling and go to sea, they don't come back ashore. So we don't really know that information. So once we get a, a male turtle that is injured, we rehabilitate them to, the, to their natural health. And then a lot of times we'll try to place a satellite tracker on them so we can see what they're doing during those lost years, like where they're foraging at, are they getting in groups? Um, so we put a tracker on so we can understand that information where they're, where they're doing because they don't come back ashore. And then as always with science, there's an exception because there is a group of green sea turtles in Hawaii um, that comes back up to actually bass. Um, there's no other adult sea turtles that bass that for some reason there's a group um, in Hawaii that has been bassing for uh, a, a couple of decades now, I want to say, and no one really um, knows why. There's no other sea turtles that do that, but these guys are. 
Oh, it must be a good location. That's some good food there or something. I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> so what is um you said the turtle <clears throat> excuse me. Um one type was critically um endangered. Yeah, it's critically endangered. So there's a level that I, I see you in red list. Um it goes and it's like it's like there's least concern, so it's not threatening at all. And then it goes to being threatened, um, then like endangered and critically endangered. Um, so these guys are past like the endangered point. So it's a low um, level of them. And so these guys in Hawksbills are critically endangered. Um, then the other ones are endangered. So around the U.S., we have six different species of sea turtles, um, and two of them are critically endangered, and then the rest are endangered. So what are the, what are two that are um, endangered? The Kemp's I mean, Ridley sea turtle are the ones that are critically endangered. So Kemp's Ridley and Hawksbill, and okay. then the ones that are endangered are the Oliver Ridley the leatherback, the green sea turtle, and then um, the loggerhead. So around the U.S., we have six species of sea turtle that um, either nest or can be found in our waters, and four of them are endangered, and then two of them are critically endangered. And then there's actually there are seven species of sea turtles, but one of them is only found along the coast, the coastal waters of Australia, okay. and that's the flatback. So what, um, I guess, what's the, the reason for the, the uh, you know, the turtles, the decline, really? Is it like, you know, just the environment? Is it humans? Is it, you know, does acidification bother that? Like, is that an issue? Yeah, so it's a lot of different factors. Um, climate change is one. Um, pla- plastic is one. Um, fishing, over- overfishing and bycatch. Um, turtles getting caught in like fishing nets, uh, whether either commer- commercial fishing nets like giant fishing nets, or either in, like with just like everyday fishermen um, having nets out or getting ha- caught in hooks um, with hook with hooks. Um, that's a number like that's one thing um, that caused the decline. And then like um, back in the day uh, when a lot of people still foraged um, sea turtles. Uh, that's one thing that actually drove, helped drive the Kings Ridley sea turtle population down is um, people actually like harvesting the eggs um, and eating them. So I believe it was like, I believe in 1947, there was a video um, posted. I'll see if I can find it for you. But there was a video where there was a around, I'm going to say it was estimated around 30,000 uh, Kemp's really sea turtles that was nesting on a beach in Mexico. Now, these were only females. So think about that, too. It was 30,000 females nesting, on the, coming up to nest on the beach. And at one time after that, they dropped down to around 700 nesting pairs. Um, so 700 females that were nesting on, on that beach. Wow. Um, and uh, it's believed 
to be because around that sometime in that time frame, the refrigerated um, truck became available so people could um, take the eggs and ship them out. You said so, refrigerated, refrigerated what? Truck. Okay. Refrigerated trucks. You're right. Got you for uh, shipping and things. Yes. Okay. Got you. Um, so that's one uh, thing that like helped to drive down the Kinsley sea turtle uh, population. And now I believe it's back up to around 10,000 or so nesting pairs. Well, I have to double check to be sure. Right. Um, and that's through different conservation programs like um, head starting, which is um, hatching a, a sea turtle and then like keeping it, um, keeping it in like captivity until it's um, close to being uh, mature and then releasing it. So maybe not like, for a lot of years so maybe like two or three years until it um is big enough to um get past most of the predators mm -hmm. um and then you you release it um and then that's also uh, like taking like translocating them back to their natural range so uh, at one point the turtles in texas were pretty much almost completely gone and then um there was a head start program that got some from mexico and brought them up here um, and had started them here and then released them. And then now uh, there's a population that are like coming back up to the, um, coming back up to Padre Island and the coasts of Texas um, that um, will lay their eggs here. So let me, I'll send this link to you for this video. Okay. Um, So that's for some of the things that like cause their decline. Got you. So we've all seen like those videos with the, uh, the, uh, you know, with the straw up the turtle nose right. and, um, you know, the six pack cans, the plastics, you know, around the necks and stuff like that. Have you personally seen anything like that? Um, so personally, like, I haven't seen like straws, um, or like, um, like the coat, um, holder, um, but I have seen evidence of like plastic where you can see like plastic with a diamond shaped bike out of it. And that, those are sea turtle bites. So their beak like bites it out. Um, so I, I have seen that. And then, um, there are, um, necropsies. I haven't seen that in like necropsies where plastic was ingested by a sea turtle, but some of the turtles that, um, that are necropsy at, Padre Island does do have plastic in them. Uh, but for as far as personally, like most of the evidence I see is the plastic on the beach that have the turtle bites out, out of it. And then like I seen evidence of the like getting caught in that. that um had its right wing um hold on one second it's right it's right flipper that was wrapped with um a, a gill net and then like a 10 pound anchor so it had probably had around like 100 to 150 yards of net that was wrapped around it with a 10 pound anchor and like it was still like trying to swim in the surf and fishermen found it cut the net off um, and then, like, they called us, so I went and pick, picked it up, 
and worked it up and everything. And we had to rehab it for a couple of weeks. Um, so that's the evidence that I saw the net, like those nets. I mean, sometimes those nets are active nets uh, where people are like currently fishing. And sometimes they're called ghost nets where the nets have broke and they're just floating in the ocean freely. Right. Um, so I've definitely seen those evidence of um, sea turtles being caught in those nets. And I say I've also seen evidence of sea turtles like swallowing like fishermen hooks and thing, and those cost them like a lot of times the hooks don't like necessarily like um, cost them die like right off, um, but eventually it costs them to die because they they can't feed. Right. So a lot of times it's not them like like dying right off because it's bad. It's like the delay um, death because of them not being able to feed or with the nets. Um, sometimes they they drown. Hmm. Wow, that's that's crazy. Um, so let's talk about let's just talk a little bit about uh your butterfly experience, man. Cause that that honestly, I've never heard about that either. So uh, how was that? Yeah, so that was good. Um, so with that, I was in uh, New Richmond, Wisconsin, with the Fish and Wildlife Service. So there used to be like the butterflies are called Connor Blue butterflies, and they're endangered, and they used to be like um big populations like from like Wisconsin stretching all over like Indiana, Ohio, all the way up into even like New York area. Uh, but now there is like hot spots. So hot spots suggest like small populations here and there um, throughout those states. Um, so where I was in Wisconsin, uh, they had been like extirpated. Uh, extirpated is pretty much like locally extinct. So there's no more in that area where I was in Wisconsin, but there was a small population in um, northern Wisconsin that was still flourishing. Um, so what we did was we obviously, for the first couple of months out of the year, we manipulated the land. Um, so these guys like to live in, um, live in like live on like wild lupin, which is um, a host plant is in the pea family. So like the monarch butterfly have a host plant, the, the milkweed, these guys use wild lupin. Um, so they like to live on a wild lupin plant. And then they like to live in like for, forested areas um, that has like some, some trees, but not too many. Uh, and then also like prairie areas. Now lupin likes to be like, it has to like have like, um, disturbance in order to like come in um, so the ground has to be like fire or like some type of disturbance for it to be there um, but most of the land out in west wisconsin where i was was uh, originally converted all into pretty much farmland ag land so we are we once it was purchased we start restoring the land back now we did a lot of that work so we we're either cutting down trees, treating for invasive um, plants um, that can be invasive ple invasive trees or just like um, grass vegetation. So we're treating those, either mechanically pulling them or, or spraying um, pesticides on them, um, treating those, and then eventually um, planting wild lupin, either via seeds or uh, a lot of it we actually grew in a greenhouse, and then we uh, went and planted it. Now, once we had all that, um, at least in a good effort um, and going, we went up to um, a state land in northwestern or north 
Wisconsin and collected around 430 or so eggs and then around 20 females. And then we brought them back to the greenhouse and reared them, reared them up until they hatched and then uh, released, released the calipers on the um, WPAs, which are waterfall production areas. So the governmental lands and then some private lands um, until they hatch. Um, so that was the that was my the part that I was uh, involved in was collecting those ads, manipulating the land, um, and running them in greenhouses. And then, unfortunately, I actually left the project due to funding before like I can see like how many butterflies um, were there the next year. Now, what does that look like, man? Like when when I imagine you collecting, not you particularly. But like just collecting butterflies, I see people skipping through the fields with the nets and just, you know, trying to get butterflies. Like, what does that look like getting butterflies into butterfly eggs? Yeah. So for the butterflies, it's it's not really skipping. I mean, no, I wasn't. But, you know, yeah, I, mean, I know. Like, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people do think like with kids, it's they are like running, trying to catch it back. Yeah. You got to you got to kind of like finesse them, like um, approach, approach them slowly. And then like swoop swoop with them in it. Um, like it's usually like the bigger your net is, like the longer your net is, the better chance you have of catching them actually. That's what and she for said. that. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> uh, and then for the for the eggs, it's it's like on it's like on your knees, like looking through um the wild lupin. So they like to nest at the base um of the plant. So you're like looking through and you see like a grain you're like is that sand or is that an egg um and you're like flipping through like okay like eventually you get your eyes are like are fixated or trained to see the between a, a spherical egg versus like a, a rough grain of, of dirt or sand so mm -hmm. once you see get that you know and then you know that they nest like um like between two and four like centimeters um, from the dirt um, so you're looking at that and we find those eggs and then what we did was we would like um, shave a little piece of the wild lupin off so that the egg is still attached um, to the wild lupin and then we're not damaging the the lupin that the egg was on because we want other butterflies to lay on that lay mm -hmm. eggs on that so right. we'll take a little sliver of that wild lupin off with the egg and place it in a test tube um, and then we'll transfer that to another wild lupin plant that uh, we was growing in a greenhouse. Now it was uh, going up early mornings uh, and checking um, all the wild lupin, like acres of it, just walking through looking um, for his wild lupin. Uh, once you found it, then you actually got to get down and look for it. And sometimes it was ants um, biting you right. or um, ticks and other insects, especially like mosquitoes and flies. They're, they're coming for you while you're trying to do this and you're trying yeah. to be very delicate and just shave a little bit off. Um, but it was like, it was intense, but it was also rewarding, um, especially that. then like seeing like the, and sometimes it was funny, like seeing like the females like flying around and like watching the female like, 
all right, I'm going to see where she land because she's going to lay an egg right there. And then you watch her, and then you go and see it, and she didn't let an egg. She was just resting. That right. the one time out of, like, 20 times you're watching, they finally lay an egg. And like, all right, I got it. Is it a egg? Yes, it's a egg. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so they're, right, they're a little different from sea turtles. So sea turtles can lay 100 eggs, a cl- like, a clutch. So per laying event that, yeah, the – Connor Blue, one egg. Wow. So well, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, the ants biting you, ticks getting on you, just, you know, getting down and dirty. What what are some of the not so uh, nice parts about being a biologist? Yeah, so some of the nice parts, the not so nice part is, like I said, the insect bikes, um, the ticks, um, especially for <laughs> black and brown people, the ticks are are a big uh a big thing because they have an unfair advantage ticks are brown i'm brown uh, so they they blend in so i'm like i'm like is that a tick or is that a scar and you scratch it like it start moving like oh right. let me pull this off right right so you, you got that and then you also like uh a lot of times the the um animal smells like especially dead dead things like we do come up across a lot of dead um sea turtles so um, that that's the worst smell I ever smelled. Mm. Um, like I've been around working at the zoo, I've been around like animal animal poop and all that. But dead sea turtle is just a whole nother level, and wow. that that smell. And like if we find a turtle, like even though it's dead, we still have to work it up, take the measurements, and see if it has any tags of it. Um, so yeah, that so that and then also like human. Like human interactions, a lot of times, whether it's been like current, my current situation of um, being in the middle of nowhere, um, where like I live on a refuge. So um, like once my um, colleagues go home, like I'm the only one on the eighty thousand uh, acre refuge, and right now I don't have good internet service. So um, that is a lot of times been um, out there by yourself, lonely, and then also like a lot of times. Um, for me, like many times I'm the only black individual, um, at my office and sometimes maybe even in in that town. Um, so it's definitely like, definitely kind of draining in in that ways too. And then like, um, so it's like, I'm trying to pit up for like my safety, make sure I'm good, but also pit on a little somewhat of a, like, I guess, uh, a safeguard for others, like. I shouldn't have to do that, but I, like, I have to, like, I'm over there, like, um, make sure I'm, like, waving, smiling as superior, um, less, like, less threatening, and then, like, um, like, a lot of times, I also, like, just, like, if I'm going to go around the neighborhood, um, like, pin on bright color clothes, opting for a ball cap instead of a a hat, because I am a black person in a white neighborhood, like, I don't want anything to happen for me, even if I am just like working out running, uh, which is, which is sad. And like um, last, like my research spot um, down in South Georgia, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Ahmad Aubrey. Um, he was the individual who was running um, in his own neighborhood that um, a group of white people actually tracked him down and, and killed him. My research uh, f- site is literally um, two miles, two to three miles from that, um, that area. And that area, that area 
although it's somewhat diverse, it still has a high uh, white preval uh, prevalence. And um, a lot of them uh, are still um, racist or look down on black people. So many times, like, when I'm dry, like, not only do I have, like, the emotional baggage of having to dry, like, past where he passed the neighborhood where he was killed but knowing i'm in that area and like um, that could be me just walking around my, my field site and then like there are people that come up um that come up to my field site because it's a fishing area um off white route highway and i don't know what they're doing like they're sitting in their trails like they could be watching me um so many times there are trucks there sit there so like if i'm coming back like i would take a little bit longer time to see okay like are they just like, are they just checking their mouths? Are they getting ready to fish? Are they waiting on me? So I'll take my time and see what they're doing and then watch them leave. Um, so that's at one of my field sites. And then I'm um, at another field site. It's right off uh, um, a state um, like Park Highway. And a lot of people use that, that there's still people that will either drive slow or um, sometimes there are people that like strengthens that stream, uh, like stream that will actually scream words at me a lot of sometimes they're encouraging words other times um they're they're the n-word so i was like like you're brave enough to say that like when i'm 100 yards in marsh mud uh and you're driving by um but uh there's other protections or like protections in place i guess which i shouldn't have to do like i shouldn't have to like um wear like bright colors i shouldn't have to wear my university um like logo on my clothes or have, have a university truck with a logo printed on there just to look and like I belong and like I'm like I'm actually doing what I'm supposed to do and, like I'm not up to no good but those are like fail safes that I have to do as a graduate researcher and many times as a wildlife biologist like, I have to do the same thing making sure that I'm wearing my my uniform uh, when people uh, are around and, like, sometimes there are people that still will, like, question, like, if you even belong. Like, they're, like, one year when I was in Wisconsin, like, I was changing boundary signs. And someone was, like, was questioning, like, what are you doing? Like, like what do you think I'm doing? Like, I'm working. Like, right. I got a full Fish and Wildlife Service uniform on. And they're asking what I'm doing. And then there was, like, like, then there was, like, actually, like, 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 are you sure? Are you do you are you sure you work for Fish and Wildlife? I'm like, you can't buy this uniform. Like, you can't get it from like the Goodwill or something. And then they threaten the the threaten to call the office to see if I I really work there. Um, and then like once I like once I was like, well, I, I work here, so like call them. And then um, when I was going back, to, I was going back to work, changing the signs. And then he's like, I don't understand why you're like why you keep changing the signs, like. Way, like wasting like my taxes and he's like i'm just gonna shoot it up when you leave and i'm like i'm like wow. i'm like go go ahead and shoot it up like like first like you're paying me to change these signs and two like if you shoot it up like i already know that i changed the sign on this date like and three like since i know i changed that sign and i know that you told me um you would shoot it up like I'll come back here with law enforcement and then and have them deal with you for messing up governmental property. And then they was like, oh, oh no, I was just kidding. I was just I was like, I was like, no, you like you wasn't kidding. Like, like you just got you just mad. I called you out on it, so you want to change the subject. Um, so sometimes it's stuff like that, or other times it's like 
like people seeing seeing you as less of a, a scientist, like in the same in the same town in um, Wisconsin, like we drove to a a waste station because we had to have our, our trucks and our trailers weighed to make sure they're in compliance with governmental safety orders. Um, so we went to the station, we went to the waste station, and everyone else with the fish and wildlife service went in. They're all they're all white, and then I come in. And the truck driver only said anything to me. He he looked at me. He was like, "Oh, are you with maintenance?" I'm like, "Like, <laughs> really? Like, you say that to anybody else? But don't say something to me like just because I'm black. Like, the only the only level I can be is maintenance. Like, right. I can't be a scientist or anything." Yeah. And then, like after that, he, he was like, he was like, he was like, no, no, I mean like that. I'm like, I'm like, what did you mean? How like, did you mean it? Did. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then like he wanted, he wanted to like, he, he was trying to like, like change the subject. He was like, it's like, yo, you guys should pit some more fish in this pond. I'm like, well, actually, um, that's the state DNR job. Like, I'm federal. We're actually working with endangered species here. And then, and then he's just like, Oop. I'm just like, come <laughs> on, like it, it's the crazy. Like without knowing you, what people will actually like um think of you by just seeing your skin like the highest level we can achieve is, is maintenance like we can't be a scientist biologist right. or anything so i already put that ceiling on you and like it's definitely no disrespect to any other maintenance workers like uh, uh there's plenty of black maintenance workers in the fish and wildlife service and national park service that help to contribute to um conservation they help keep the machinery I'm running so we can do do our work. So like big props to them, but I'm just still like, don't like try to like pit me at a level that you have in your head. Right. Right. Um what could 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 anything prepped you for? I mean, I know you love, you know, science and nature, but could it could anything have prepped you for, you know the the mental things you're dealing with like like you you know you just went on about the things that you and i've talked to other you know people about this this topic and this subject um but like could your science teacher could your uh professor like you know hey alex i want to talk to you at the class um you know kind of pulled you off to the side maybe alex you know being a black guy in this industry man you're gonna have some issues or you're gonna it's going to be a little bit harder for you, man. You know, like a father would take a son, like a black father would take a son um, to the side and just have that talk about growing up in life. Could anything have prepped you for this? Or did you know it was going to be like this? Or you know what I mean? Right, right. I mean, I assume it would be somewhat like this. I didn't know it would be like really like this. I mean, because right. like, I grew up in the Southwest, so I know like people like already look at, look at me different. Right. But like, honestly, like, I never had a like a black science teacher, um, black science, a black professor. Um, so it, I mean, the, my white professor probably could have said um, something, but they still wouldn't know like the true experience. They could have just like, oh, like I seen this and this, but they wouldn't know like the actual like heavy like heaviness of it. Um, so that's one thing. Like, if I definitely if I had another black person at, at the time. To, to like tell me what they experienced to actually like be like a mentor or even an emotional support person uh, as I was going through that that definitely would have been a big help and it's um it's crazy because actually now I do have that 
Um, I'm in like multiple like um, black and STEM um, groups and um, some of them have actually became like real good friends where we talk, if not every, uh, if not every week, at least um, every other week where we just check in on each other. And we're a, a big support system of, of each other just seeing what we're doing and um, check in. And like um, a couple of them, like, I even have like my location, like share with them, like, okay, like if I'm not, if you don't hear from me, this is where I'm at. Right. Like, like, come, like, come pull up. Like, so yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, it's definitely, that's definitely something that uh, I could have benefited from. And it's something that like, I want to be that, like, not only like representation that also like that mentor leader nice. um, for the younger generation. Um, like I have that experience. Like I've been working, um, um, as a wildlife biologist for going on seven years now, I worked with um, multiple different uh, federal agencies. I worked as a private consulting firm. I worked in several different states, um, um, multiple countries and with multiple different species. So uh, if something is something going to happen to somebody like I probably experienced it and have yeah. a, a work, a work, a way to work through it. Um, mm -hmm. So I definitely like that's one of my goals is to be that representation and um, be uh, a mentor and like um, someone like, OK, like like you've been through this, like like what what's the deal? Like, like, is it worth like if it's worth packing up home to go to the city or this state? Like, I want to like be that be that help. And like, I don't like I don't want to get like rich off of this. Uh, I want yeah. I just I want I want other people like to know what they're getting into and how to deal with it um, when it comes. Because, like, it's not if if it happens, it's when it happens. Right. Like, you can be, like, the freest um, black person out there, and people are still are, are going to come at you wrong. So I definitely, you know, know what you're talking about and know where you're coming from. Um, so be that, be that guy, man. Um, speak to that young uh, person of color right now. And just give them a little bit of advice, man, uh, you know, encouraging words. Yeah, so I'll definitely say, like, the first things first, like, be 100% unapologetically you and 100% unapologetically um, black. Um, like, don't don't change for um, anyone. Um, and for me, like, growing up, like, I really love, I really love, um, nature but for the longest time like i kind of i kind of hit that um from uh, from other people um and look at me now like it's it's what it was my passion i'm getting paid to do my passion so definitely uh stick to your to stick to yourself um being who you want to be and like don't listen to naysayers like a lot of people told me like oh like you love science you should you should be a doctor but that's what I was. That's what I wasn't passionate about. Like, you, of course, you can make more money. You bet. Are you going to be happy making more money and doing something you hate, or um, having the, the freedom to be, do something you're passionate about? Like, I could have been a doctor, but well, I've been able to travel for work. Um, try these. Try new experiences. Um, try different food that I never thought I would have, or like even like just eating fried chicken in Malaysia uh, is something that I, that I experienced. So definitely like uh, if you have a goal in mind, like 
Uh, continue push for it. Like it's definitely going to be hard, but it's worth it. Stay passionate about on um, what you're what you're passionate about, and be 100% unapologetic yourself and black. And um, get a support system uh, where it's a, a older mentor or um, people your age. Uh, reach out to someone who's in the field that you uh, want to do um, be in, and reach out to that person. There's like so many social media or emails available. Uh, and then especially um, if you're, if you're black, um, there's a lot of different groups out there. There's um, black AF and STEM, there's black and marine science. Um, there's all black and X, which are all different black organizations of people in the STEM field um, that will be willing to talk to uh, a future um, scientist or a uh, future engineer, anybody that's looking for encouragement, support, or just, just want to pick someone's brain about the process of getting a job, process of going through, like, picking an undergrad, uh, undergraduate school, picking a, a graduate school, and even, like, even just doing life. You know, I think that's a I, it's, it's so much I want. I'm going to have to get you back on the podcast, man. It's so much I want to talk about because I want to talk about the birds. You know, I want to talk about your future endeavors. Uh, it's so much stuff I want to talk about, but, you know, time, time. Right. And, uh, you know, so, hey, this is going to be the first of many man conversations. And, uh, yo, I appreciate you for coming on the podcast, man. You know, we've been trying to do this for months now. Yes, but yeah, I, <laughs> I think like the first time was technical difficulties and it's, it's a whole bunch of stuff. But uh, thank you for taking time out, man. I know you said your schedule is about to be jumping um, after this week. Um, so just in the meantime, where can we find you at, man? Because you're killing it on social media. I just want to put that out there, man. Um, where can we find you at? And um, any last words? Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at nature underscore Al, and that's nature in the number eight, T-U-R-E underscore A-L. Um, yeah, so those are two places you can find me. And then um, if you're Black Marine Sciences, uh, you can find me um, in that group too. Um, you can find me, I'm, I'm on the board for Black and Marine Science. Uh, it's one of those groups that is, uh, is there to amplify and connect um, Black scientists to each other and just show the world that um, Black scientists in the Marine field, we out here. Beautiful, beautiful, man. All right, man. Until the next time, you know, stay strong, stay safe. Um, and uh, get me in them groups, man. You got to connect me, brother, man. You got, y'all holding these groups hostages and stuff, man. Come on now. Let an oyster shucker in. Yeah, I got you. I'll, I'll definitely share, share the link. All right, man. Appreciate you. Until the next time, all right? All right. Sounds good.